Newsweek presents The Debate with Andrew Tolman. Everything 100% of the time, 24 hours a day is a negotiation. Rakeem Brooks. This is a common good that we are talking about. Ellis Hennigan. None of us have fallen for the notion that this is conservative. And Jeff Charles. That distracts us from actually rolling up our sleeves. The Debate starts now. All right, so y'all have probably heard about that uh, federal court ruling with a Louisiana judge basically barring federal agencies from communicating with social media outlets like uh, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. And this comes in the wake of the release of the Twitter files and all the revelations that have been coming from House Republicans about the collusion between the government and big tech to tamp down and censor speech related to COVID-19 elections and other issues as well. So this is a very interesting case because I've been following this for a while. And obviously, as a support of the First Amendment, I'm seeing this as the government's attempt to get just right up to the edge, right up to the line of infringing on the First Amendment without blatantly going all the way over. So, yes, I do agree with the court's ruling. Now, it doesn't bar them from communicating with these companies in all circumstances. But in most circumstances, when it comes to uh, cajoling, coercing, convincing them to uh, uh, suspend certain accounts or or certain uh, tweets or posts, that's really what it's focused on. So I wanted to kind of get your guys' take on this whole thing. Let's start with you, Ellis. Well, you know, I got to tell you, let's start with something that maybe we can get some agreement on, because I suspect we may have disagreement on, on this one. You got to say it's not a good pattern, is it, when one little federal judge sitting in one out of the way courthouse in my home state of Louisiana can, with a with a, a single politicized ruling, change the huge policy of every single thing the United States government does. Doesn't that give a lot of power? to one little ideological judge somewhere that that ought to make all of us nervous. Right. I mean, because because the thing the, the point is, is that even though I agree with this decision, there could be another one that doesn't go the way I want where I do do disagree with it. So you do have a good point there. I mean, I do know that it's supposed to be more of a check on these kind of things. But realistically, I don't even know how long this this decision is going to to hold up because it's really it's not the one thing I didn't say. This isn't the final word. This is temporary. So this thing still has to be hashed out. So I'm OK with them having some limitations, at least temporarily. But we but eventually this is going to come to Congress or the Supreme Court or some other body. Well, okay. let let me let let me point out a little bit. First of all, the next stop on this one is going to be the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans, which is which is at least as uh, conservative as the the courthouse there in southwest Louisiana. But 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 on a larger point, I I, I guess um, I think the Internet and the, the technical communications we all engage in, I'm not looking for more disinformation, for more crazy stuff, for more Russian bots, for more misinformation. If anything, I sort of like the federal government calling over to Google once in a while or to Twitter or to Facebook and saying, hey, you know, this account you're giving such prominence to, this is a bunch of Chinese hackers sitting somewhere trying to manipulate the American people. I want that kind of communication to go on. So when I think about, about this, I think yeah. about other contexts, right? And I started when I was first thinking about this case by reading the amendment. You know, even though we know it well, sometimes it's good to read the amendment. Congress will make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances, right? I mean, it's pretty straightforward. When I think about this behavior by the federal government, 
I think of what would our opinion be if they were calling the New York Times or NBC and telling them, no, 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 we don't think you should be running with that information or outside of the context of speech per se, but more in the realm of religion. You know, they're not supposed to establish or prohibit free exercise. What if they were calling, I don't know, the Catholic Church or the Latter-day Saints and lobbying them to do different things that those would all seem to me to be violations of the First Amendment because it's Congress or through its delegated powers, the executive branch interfering with or advocating for speech restrictions, religion. This seems easily problematic to me. Yeah. And what happens when there's a theory about COVID-19 coming from a lab and the government saying, oh, it's a conspiracy theory, blah, 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 blah. Tamp down on that account, uh, Elon Musk or, or Mark Zuckerberg. But then it turns out that the government was lying and that the whack job supposedly on the social media platform was right. I mean, it always sounds easy to say, yeah, the government should be able to make a call. But what happens when the government is wrong and you've got the power of government behind that? Right. And it, that can go the other way as well. Well, what do you think, Rakeem? Well, you know me, I always think these things are overblown and they're not quite accurately described. So, you know, just taking the case um, and its current posture, uh, a set of facts have been alleged about what the government has been doing. And the judges said, based on those facts, if it were true, then it would violate the First Amendment. But the facts seem to me to be unlikely to be true. Uh, If what the government is largely doing is notifying these social media platforms, as Ellis was saying, that the information that they have posted is false and being widely distributed and leading to different social effects, you know, either people gathering, believing, um, for example, that they're uh, being sent to Barack Obama's house or something like that, right? But actually being sent somewhere else where there are various, um, whatever the threats may be, right? That to inform social media companies about that and then give them the ability to make decisions about how they engage in content uh, moderation or regulation seems to me to be reasonable. Uh, There's a kind of specter of the idea that the government is engaging in regulation, but ultimately that's left up to these private companies. And if they felt, for instance, that they were actually being harassed or uh, pressured into removing content by the government, then perhaps they should be bringing the suits. But instead, what you have are the state of Louisiana and um, or state of Missouri. And what was the other state, Jeff? I've forgotten now. Was it Louisiana? Uh, Yeah, I think those are the two. Yeah, Yeah, those are the two. um, that, you know, they're being brought by Republican solicitor generals. Now, it just so happens that the solicitor general of Missouri is my old classmate, Josh Devine, and he is a uh, hard right. Get a name drop there. Yeah, somebody I, somebody I actually like. But I'm just sort of pointing out that these are not the social media companies themselves bringing suit against the federal government and saying that their First Amendment rights are being suppressed. And if anyone has the power to do battle with the federal government, it's the likes of Google and Facebook. So we should be perhaps a little more skeptical and suspicious of the motivations of these particular solicitor generals. But isn't there the problem if Google or Twitter or pick your company is sort of colluding with the government and they might have standing to allege harm if they were being told to do something they didn't want to do. But what happens when the government is, you know, making the films and publishing the books and guiding the director, the, uh, the policies of these social media companies? That's what concerns me. Think about the experience. We all spend a lot of time online and, and, and hate it to some extent. But I mean, you know, we're there. We got to be there. That's the town square of, of the world today. But I mean, there isn't there's a, so much garbage out there that just overwhelms it. It, it makes it it's become increasingly hard to get reliable information and to know what you can trust because these uh, these bad actors, some of them human and some of them not, 
um, have gotten so effective at, 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 at tricking us and making stuff look like it's legit when it's really not. I don't know. I just I feel like having some kind of government at least passing along information, Rakim, even, even if not, as you say, not forcing the companies to do anything, but saying, hey, you know, this stuff you you spreading around, we got some reason to to worry. But doesn't that make the world a better place by and large? Well, I, I think it makes it it would make it a better place by and large if the government was somebody that could be trusted. And it's not. But you do raise an excellent point. It is very difficult to get to the bottom of, of these stories and to find the right information. COVID is a great example. I mean, where do you get the right information? Dr. Fauci? Well, he flip flopped on a lot of different issues. So you can't really trust him. But then on the other side, you've got these people saying, if you take the vaccine, you're going to die tomorrow. So there's also that as well. So what I mean, it sounds Ellis, like you're saying this should be the government's role. Do you think that it should take a larger role than this? Or what role should the government play when it comes to this? Like, would you be comfortable with them actually passing laws saying that you have to let us tell you who to suspend and things like that? Well, I mean, you're right. It is really about a balance. Uh, and I don't mm-hmm. think any of the four of us would, would, would be at the total extreme in right. either one of these. Uh, so, so to me, it's about setting the right balance. And may, maybe a good place is to say, hey, uh, government agencies, you have every right to communicate with these companies and to share the knowledge that you have. And, and you know what? If, if they don't want to cooperate, then maybe we can hash it out in, in some neutral forum somewhere. But the idea of completely gagging all protections seems to me to be on the wrong side of that balance. Mm-hmm. What if it were more just done in the open? I mean, you know, you have a White House Twitter page, right? You have Homeland Security has a Twitter. The CIA, for goodness sakes, is on Instagram now, right? Right. They certainly have a pretty loud platform from which they can express their view of the truth. They can combat disinformation there. Um, So they're already acting to combat the things that they think are wrong. I guess what part of what bothers me about this is that it's done so unknown, unbeknownst to the rest of us. Like if the White House, some DHS, let's say, uh, or HHS or whatever, they want to communicate with Twitter about covid disinformation. Why does it have to be done through something that has to come out later in this big information disclosure? Why can't they publish a memo that says today we talked to so and so at Twitter and we expressed our concern about this content? We think it's inaccurate. And we told them about it. I I don't love that because they're still engaging in the behavior, but at least I'd have, you know, I wouldn't be worried about some secret collusion that they're trying to accomplish without publicizing it. It does make you wonder what they were trying to hide because there wasn't any transparency here. If Elon Musk hadn't taken over Twitter, they'd still be doing it and we wouldn't know anything about it. And I stand where you do, Andrew. I don't care if the government comes out and says, hey, this person said this. Here's what we have to say about it. They can say what they want. They, they've got that right to free speech. But at the same time, this was an active collusion. If you look at the Twitter files and the emails that went back and forth and all of that, they were working hand in hand. And while they may not have passed a law compelling these companies to cooperate, there is kind of an implied threat from where I said. I mean, you've seen Jack Dorsey get hauled in front of Congress. You've seen Mark Zuckerberg get hauled in front of Congress on numerous occasions. So there is that implied threat. Well, hey, if you don't cooperate you know this is a nice social media platform here it'd be a shame if we have to haul you in front of congress again right what, what do you think rakim am, am i being too paranoid about the government uh only in the yes only in the sense that i mean these are the same companies that 
you know, I think, Jeff, you and I would agree, have an outsized influence on government policy. So the idea that they are somehow subject in the way that you or I might be to a phone call from the FBI where they feel totally incapable of defending their First Amendment rights just doesn't ring true to me. I think there are major questions to be asked about what social media is in terms of the public forum, as Ellis was describing it, and to Andrew's you know, sort of general point, therefore, how we should be regulating it and what we should know about government's interactions with it. But you'll know, like occasionally I throw my lawyer hat back on, and I just feel like this is an abuse of the system. I don't actually see the parties who are likely to be harmed negotiating uh, the scope of that harm in these um, in this controversy. We have the, again, the Solicitor Generals of Missouri and Louisiana saying we cry foul. But Facebook, Google, I mean, I can't imagine probably all of my neighbors are lobbyists for those organizations, right? Like if I look left and look right or get on any subway uh, or any train in D.C., 50 percent of them are probably employed by these folks. And so it's just not believable to me that they can't defend their rights. Now, if the broader point is something about um we don't trust the government to engage fairly at any time with major companies outside of public scrutiny. I don't know. Andrew's solution kind of fixes that for me. So I also don't think of it as a as a big deal. But I just want us to be a little more skeptical about the people bringing these lawsuits like there's the philosophical viewpoint. But then what are their objectives? Right. What happens if, in fact, uh, the government can no longer can uh, collaborate with Facebook and Google and others um, on disinformation uh, to our overall democracy. Yeah, I hear that. And, and you know, you bring up like the, the party that's being affected. I mean, in some way, and I would argue that the people who are really being affected are the people who are being caught up in this stuff, the people who are getting suspended largely unfairly. I mean, if you look at the Twitter files, this was done under the guise of supposedly combating foreign misinformation. But we found out that a ton of American accounts were targeted because the government told Twitter to suspend it or to sort of ban some of their their tweets or, or what have you. And I, I do think that's a problem. I think Andrew's solution probably is probably the closest thing to what people can, can agree on. If they're going to be transparent about it, that means that when they're doing it, if, if we think it's wrong, we can criticize it. But when they're doing it under cover of darkness, that might that that's really the issue there, that the lack well, why of Why not just have those people sue Twitter or sue Facebook, as I'm sure they are, right? The reason the government- That's what I was going to get to. I don't think these people would have the wherewithal to take on the federal freaking government, right? Whereas Twitter and Facebook might. What it also kind of makes me think about is, uh, I, I don't know, again, I'm thinking outside of the context of the social media. I'm thinking of, you know, like the Washington Post. OK, they put out an article and they didn't actually quote anybody from the administration, let's say, in the article, which would be implied review of some sort. OK, uh, but what if they put a little line at the end that said, you know, before we published this, we ran it by the Department of Transportation and they think we're a OK. <laughs> you know, like on the one hand, you can't imagine them doing that because pre-publication review would just totally bristle and rankle anybody who's the actual news source. But it, it feels that way. It feels like, you know, this version of government approved information coming at you through your social media. And we just have such a long tradition of not liking that way of thinking about information. But Ellis, I man, I'm with you. The disinformation, the free and easy shares, the the wilder and crazier and more untrue it is, the faster it seems to spread. And I spend, you know, especially I'll give you like a local example of this is whenever there's a, an emergency, there's a hurricane, let's say, um, or there's some big crime, man, it's a, it's a thousand to one, the false information to the reliable information. 
And that's where people's lives might be at stake because they're not getting good information. But yeah, that's what that, yeah, that, that's you know, yeah, that's no, that's I, I think a good point. Let me let me talk as the print guy here. No, the Washington Post should not be submitting for pre-publication review to government. But let me tell you, as someone who spent you know twenty-five years in the newspaper business, government officials, just like anyone else, are constantly calling up and complaining about stuff they don't like in the media, right? As do corporate flacks, as do readers, as do. Uh, attorney generals. I, I mean, that's one of the dangers of, I, I think, this decision, Jeff, is that, you know, we've the gag you put on is now on all these government agencies who can't now, under this judge's ruling, tug at the coat over at Facebook and say, hey, you know, you guys may not realize it, but um, you shouldn't be shooting uh, Clorox into your veins to fight to COVID and, and maybe ought to take that site down. Yeah, that's understandable. And and the thing is, I mean, like, and like I said earlier, this isn't the final word. This is going to be hashed out. But even after it's hashed out, I think that this is just going to be the, the latest in a long series of debates uh, that we have over this issue. I mean, there is going to be a reckoning coming as far as the government's relationship with big tech, social media and, and all of that. So uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about this again at, at some point. And we also think agree that the uh, the one judge should not be the final arbiter, even if he's the guy saying what you want him to say. No one person should be the one that defines the policy and the status of the laws. You got to let it go through its process. And then you got to read the dissent, too. Right, Rakeem? You got to always read oh, the majority yeah, opinion. Read. And then you got to read the dissent because <laughs> the dissenters, they may be right or they may at least have some things on their side that you hadn't thought about. Yeah, I maybe the last thing I, I'll say on this is to, to Ellis's point, you know, the government is the one entity capable of doing this at scale right now. If in fact you told me that these organizations could use AI and machine learning to better engage in content moderation in the future, maybe I'd be less inclined to say that the government needed to do it. But it strikes me right now that they're providing a valuable service in pointing out a lot of the mess and muck that's out there. Uh, And it seems to me again that Google, Facebook, Twitter and the like are perfectly free to resist. Well, you heard it here, folks. Rakim is advocating for Skynet to do our content (laughs) moderation. We're all going to die. (laughs) If you would like to be a part of the debate, email us. The debate at Newsweek.com. After being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? 
Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.